Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Rediscover our fascinating city this summer on a walking tour from the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Our entertaining and expertly trained docents will guide you through the Chicago you've been longing to explore. From magnificent downtown architecture to awe-inspiring neighborhood gems. If it's worth seeing, we'll take you there. Get tickets at architecture.org forward slash tours. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, August 5th is moments away. But before we go any further, we have to thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, our sponsors, as well as our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. If you're listening to this and you own a business or you're a big wig at a union and you're like, man, I'd like to get... Uh, my business or union on that list of sponsors, Dennis Reads. Well, we'd love to read it, all right? So contact the Chicago Reader or the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, Tracy Bame, just reach out to me. Reach out to the Biddy J Show, biddyjshow at gmail.com. Send us an email, and I can direct you to whoever you need to talk with at the Chicago Sun-Times for you to become a sponsor of the Ben Jarofsky Show and for you to help keep this program alive. Am I right, Ben? Yes. Yeah, that is correct. <laughs> That's correct. Let me tell you about voting by mail. It's pretty cool. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote by mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote by mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So visit VoteMailChicago.com. That's VoteMail.com. 
Chicago.com for call scripts and a petition. One more time. Vote. V-O-T-E. Mail. M-A-I-L. Chicago. C-H-I-C-A-G-O. Dot com to make sure that every voter in Cook County has safe and equitable polling. All right. So we have a song of the day. This request comes from our good friend, Ro. Ro, what is happening? We appreciate you. You've been listening to the program for a long time and you're awesome. Ro's request is Summertime Blues. Oh, summertime blues. Oh, I know that song. Do uh, you? Summertime blues. Summertime blues. Some, I know, bro, I swear to God, I know that song. I just can't think of it right now because on my mind is I'm every woman. Oh, Whoa. all right, all right. Some Whitney. Do you know that? Hell yeah. Whoa, look at uh-huh. But I can't. I, summertime blues. Summer. I know that song. It's from the '60s, Ro. I swear, I know that song. I'll just make it up. Summertime blues. Yes, I got a boot. Wow, 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 Indeed, <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky show starts now. It is Wednesday, August fifth. And live from my apartment and Ben's attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist, Monroe Anderson. And now your host, he's every woman? <laughs> Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Lickman Knows Best Wednesday, and here's why. Before I get into that, Ro, I just got to tell you, as Dennis was doing the introduction, it popped into my head. It came out of nowhere. Ain't no cure for the, the summertime, summertime blues. blues. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I came out of The mind works in mysterious ways. And I could tell you that for sure. All right, let me get down to Alan Lichtman. Alan Lichtman knows best. He is, of course, a history professor for American University. And I know all my junkies out here uh, in junkie land, political junkies know who he is. He's a gentleman who figured out a way to accurately predict presidential elections. Uh, he's best known for accurately predicting the 2016 presidential election. He said Donald John Trump would defeat Hillary Clinton. And ever since then, he's been like, the man when it comes that's the one to to have picked that is the if you really want to show that you know the game of politics to have correctly predicted that one it's like a leg up michael moore the filmmaker the radical filmmaker correctly predicted donald trump and he has been he's just been this like thriving on that one ever since i accurately predicted that one now everybody reads d why didn't i think of that why didn't you give me career advice d back in 2016 to have correctly predicted donald john trump would be victorious Our, now everybody would listen to the show who is he going to predict this time well we i right? did tell you i sent you an email you're not good at the internet Oh, yeah, you're right. I forgot. I missed that email. Should have wrote you a letter. 
It went to junk. Um, anyway, uh, Michael Moore and Alan Lickman have been just riding that horse ever since, since they correctly predicted uh, Donald John Trump would uh, be victorious. Uh, Michael Moore predicted it, I think, just to stick the needle into uh, liberals and just make them squirm a little bit because Michael Moore, radical filmmaker, hates liberals almost as much as he hates uh, Donald Trump. I actually think he may hate liberals a little more than he hates Donald John Trump. But uh, put that to the side, he accurately predicted uh, that uh, Trump would win, and ever since then, he, he's been like, oh, wow, he knows everything. All right, now back to Lickman. So here's the deal with Lickman. Uh, he concocted a formula uh, for making uh, presidential predictions. It's uh, Lickman's uh, theory is that voters are a pragmatic group of people, and they aren't swayed by uh slick commercials they aren't swayed by ideology what uh sways them and motivates them is how they think uh the administration has handled their job of running the country that's the lickman theory uh and uh he says he's the, the way to predict who will win the presidency is a, asking and answering 13 true or false questions. Now, I know all this because I listened to Lickman's, the bit he did with the New York Times this morning, D, so it's like fresh in my head. It's like cramming for an exam. Alan Lickman's 13 true or false questions uh, to cr correctly predict who will be victorious in the 2016, uh, uh, excuse me, 2020 presidential election. So here we go. <clears throat> And by the way, let me just say a couple things. Uh, yes, he did correctly predict uh, 2016 uh, Donald Trump win, but a lot of the other ones are not that hard to predict. I'm just saying. All right. Anyway, I don't want to rain on this parade. He got it right, and I didn't in 2020. Uh, excuse me, 2016. All right, here we go. Here are the 13. First question, true or false? Midterm gains for the uh, president. In other words, did his party win in the midterm elections? False. Remember, if you get six or more false the incumbent party will lose, so false. Uh, no primary contests, that's true. No primary contest for Donnie Trump. Uh, so, you know, he's that's true, so that's one in his favor. Uh, what is it? Uh, incumbent seeking re-election, that's true. Uh, he's an incumbent seeking re-election, so it's not the battling for a vacancy, essentially. Uh, no third party. Well, Lichtman said true, but in reality, there is a third party. And of course, that would be the birthday party, uh, Kanye West. I know a lot of people are thinking about voting for the birthday party. I wonder who that yeah. is. <laughs> I wonder who uh, that is. Because it's not me. It's not I me. Don't know, I don't know any sane person, let me put it this way, uh, thinking of voting for the, uh, the birthday party. And here I have a little issues with Lickman's. Uh, Lickman's formula, because like obviously the third party that's in the race, if you say no, there's no third party, that's not clearly benefiting one candidate or another. It depends who, obviously, the third party uh, candidate is. So, for instance, in 2020, excuse me, 2000, when uh, Ralph Nader was running as a Green Party candidate, that benefited George Bush, duh, because Ralph Nader was presumably going to take more votes from Al Gore, the Democrat, than he was going to take from George W. Bush. So really the issue is who the third party candidate is and who he or she'll take votes from. And I am not certain who Kanye West 
if he remains on the ballot uh, and stays in the race, or even if he just remains in the ballot, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to actually do any campaigning. Who Kanye West would take uh, votes from? The uh, standard assumption is that Kanye West's presence is more damaging to Joe Biden than it is to Donald Trump. Uh, so therefore, we see I've seen reports saying that Republicans are helping um, Kanye West stay on the ballot in his uh, fights to, to remain on the ballot, and Democrats are fighting to keep him off. That standard uh, assumption is based on the fact that Kanye West is black, and so therefore, his voters uh, would be black voters and they would siphon away from the Democrat. That's just standard assumption. I don't buy into that assumption. Kanye West uh, was wearing the MAGA hat. And my guess is that uh, any uh, black voter that votes for Kanye West would probably have not have voted for Joe Biden and the Democrats uh, to begin with. So I'm not certain I buy into that um, assumption about Kanye West, who he hurts uh, in this race. Nonetheless, he's in the race or so so far it seems he's in the race. All right. Anyway, uh, short term uh, economy strong, false. Obviously, we're in the middle of a strong recession, if not depression. Strong long-term economic growth, false. I mean, all the gains of the first three years have been wiped out by uh, the pandemic. Uh, major policy change. Lichtman gives him a true for that because uh, Donald Trump signed the tax law in 2017. And that uh, was a major policy change benefiting the wealthiest people in the country who are probably funding his campaign as uh, we speak. No social unrest. False, obviously. Uh, we have demonstrations throughout the country. Uh, no scandal. Triple false. If he gave a triple false, he's been scandal ridden. The Trump administration has been scandal ridden from the, from the moment he entered office. So that's false. Uh, no uh, failures abroad. Lickman says true. No wars. I mean, Trump has not engaged us in any new wars. So I have to, you know, I, I actually agree with that one. Draw uh, false. And um, I can, oh, no major foreign policy uh, success. Uh, he says that's false. Yes, uh, there have been no. It's kind of nothing on that on that front. Uh, foreign policy is not at the moment a big issue in this campaign. Is the incumbent charismatic? False. Say what you will about Donald John Trump. Uh, he may be conniving. And he may be a huckster, but he's not charismatic. Is the challenger uncharismatic? Yes, true, with a capital T, underlined 50 times. Joe Biden is the anti-charisma candidate. Uh, if Joe Biden can get a full sentence out, it's a good day for him. So absolutely, uh, that is true. So Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. What are you talking about? That was a complete sentence. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Make sure kids hear words. Remember that, D? I've told you that a hundred times. <laughs> make sure the kids hear words, all right? So uh, when you add it all up, you get, but before I get to that, let me just say this about uh, Lickman and success. I just want to point something out. I was listening to Lickman explain uh, his theories and he's, he seems like a very, he seems like a fun, charismatic guy. So no, I got nothing but love for Lickman. You know, he correctly predicted Trump, good for him. But he pointed out that he pr correctly, and I have it in quotes, predicted that Al Gore would win in 2000. Of course, George W. Bush was declared the winner, at which point Lickman said, well, wait, 
Gore actually won the election. He got more votes than Bush. So oh, I was like, man, <laughs> like, come on, oh, Lickman. slippery slope there, Lickman. Uh, I'll tell you, Lickman, hold on. <laughs> Wait a minute, Lickman. So then he changed things. So he went from correctly predicting uh, who would win the popular vote to who would win the Electoral College. Because in 2000, Lickman woke up and discovered, oh, there's an Electoral College. No one told me about this in undergraduate school. So now it's whoever wins Electoral College. So he correctly predicted Trump would win. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, you can't have it. Either you lose in 2000 because... Bush won the electoral or you lose in 2016 because Hillary won the popular vote. So now what's really matters is this cockamamie electoral college that we have, which does not in any way weigh into any of these 13 true or false questions, because all these true or false questions do is weigh the pragmatism of the American voter. But if a majority of the voters follow their pragmatic instincts, and vote for Joe Biden, which is obviously what I think they should do if you're being pragmatic. But our crazy electoral college gives the vote to Donald Trump. Then the Lickman theory, open window, throw it out. Got to come up with a new theory, Lickman. Anyway, listen, I'm looking for good vibrations wherever I can find them, D. And I just remember before the pandemic, everywhere I went, all my liberal friends were like in 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 a uh, all curled up and crying. Oh, we're gonna lose! We're gonna lose! And all my lefty friends were like, "Yeah, that's a damn if they don't nominate Bernie, they're gonna lose, right?" That's a, and all the Republicans were pounding their chest. We're gonna win. We're gonna win. I could have used a little Lickman back in those days. So of course, me, contrarian, I went the other way. I go, no way. Uh, is Trump going to win? Joe Biden's going to win. So here we are now. Everything's changed. We have the pandemic. We have the recession. Uh, the polls show Biden ahead. So what's Lickman going to say? Well, if you add it up, remember, six or more falses means bad luck for the incumbent. I add it all up. Hold on, Glenn. Seven falses. Trump loses. Wee! Let's not even have the election. Let's just let Lickman's prediction hold true. We got a great show today, everybody. Monroe Anderson. We're going to ask Monroe Anderson what he thinks about Lickman's prediction. Monroe's been been predicting Donald Trump's loss since the day Donald Trump was sworn in. So uh, he'll go, well, welcome to the party, Lickman. Uh, and uh, Monroe's got a lot of things. Frank, this is what Monroe and Frank have in common. Frank sent me this text yesterday, uh, D, right after we went on the, uh, the show that Trump had sent out a tweet in which he uh, had championed. Let me find the tweet. Uh, oh, here we go. You, oh, you found it. Way to go. Yeah, Way it. to go. What are you calling me? Come on, man. Come on. It's a, it's a cell phone. Okay, You'll figure on. out this Internet after all. It's a cell phone. All right, here we go. Whether you call it vote by mail or absentee voting in Florida, the election system is safe and secure. (laughs) Trump is a piece of work. This is his tweet. It's safe and secure in Florida. Uh, Tried and true. Oh, it's tried and true. Florida's voting system has been cleaned up. We defeated Democrats' attempt to change. So in Florida, I encourage all to request a ballot and vote by mail. 
Florida happens to be the state where uh, Donald Trump uh, is voting by mail. So, oh, duh. He thinks it's uh, legit in Florida. Of course, I said this on the air. Vote by mail benefits Donald Trump as much as it benefits Joe Biden because Donald Trump's uh, voters don't want to vote, uh, go out and vote and potentially get the, uh, the virus any more than Joe Biden voters do, particularly older Trump voters. So they want to vote by mail. So Donnie's walking that fine line. He's walking out. On one hand, he has to condemn vote by mail uh, so he could uh, undercut efforts by Democrats to enact it uh, in uh, blue states or uh, purple states. Uh, but at the same time, he wants to encourage it in important uh, swing states that he thinks it'll benefit him. Florida is key, obviously one of those, a lot of retired people of Florida. So, uh, yeah, thanks for sending me to Frank. Uh, that tweet came out right after our show ended. Uh, Donald Trump, say what you will about him. He's pretty slick. So he believes in vote by mail when it benefits him. And he's against it uh, when it works uh, against him. Donald Trump's curious view toward vote by mail. Anyway, thank you very much, Frank. Uh, and Monroe's got a lot to say about that as well. But before we get to that, the young man from Alton, the man that Monroe and Frank call Dr. D with the news. Hey, what's going on, everybody? False. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> All right, let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. And today we're going to switch it up a little bit. Now, typically, we begin with the Illinois governor. And for the record, I love puppies. <laughs> we know you do. We begin with J.B. Pritzker and what else is happening around the state. But today, we start with the news of the day in the city of Chicago. Now, if this were a normal year, which we all know it isn't at all, very far from normal. But if this were a normal year, right now, uh, we would be weeks away from the beginning of the school year. And parents would be chomping at the bit to throw their children back on that bus and out of their hair. My God, these kids are driving me crazy. <laughs> But thanks to this damn dirty coronavirus, a lot of teachers and parents have been concerned about their children and students returning to the classroom. Now, at the beginning of the week, the plan was to have students return to school in person while following safety protocols and procedures in the city of Chicago. The city health commissioner and the mayor were both on board for this plan. The health commissioner even said she didn't believe the risk of spread was significant. Then a, late, uh, a little later on, on Monday, our friends at the Chicago Teachers Union protested outside City Hall saying that it is unsafe to return to the classroom and wanted all public school students to continue with online learning this fall. CTU Vice President and one of the coolest people I've ever met in my life, SDG <laughs> Stacy Davis Gates, said, quote, you can't convince anyone out here that it is safe. Now, after that, maybe it's just coincidence, maybe. The following came from the Chicago Sun-Times, Nadir Issa, and Fran, the Woman Spielman. By the way, Fran, take care. Uh, Fran's a little uh, injured. Hope you're doing well, and I know you'll be back uh, on the streets in no time. Uh, this dropped last night at around 8 p.m. Chicago Public Schools students will start the new school year at home next month as officials plan to announce as soon as Wednesday today that they'll be back off of a proposal that would have put children in classrooms two days a week. Hmm. I wonder what changed their decision so suddenly. <laughs> now, Ben Jarofsky, I'm pretty sure I already know your answer to this question, but for the sake of good podcast content, I'm going to pretend like I have no clue at all. Uh, uh, what do you think about the decision from the mayor to continue online learning at the start of the school year? Duh. Well, 
Dee, I'm going to shock you here. And uh, I'm going to say I never understood. I, I never understood uh, the decision to uh, reopen the schools. And uh, this falls under the category of what I got to give Dennis credit for this mis mixed messages. We've been talking about the mixed messages that have been delivered by the people who run our country since the pandemic hit in March. And there's various types of mixed messages. There's the mixed messages from Republicans and there's the mixed messages from Democrats. And it seems as though, and I'm saying this from my perch in my attic, overlooking the alley and the porta potty where I'm locked away in total fear of getting the virus. But it's, it seems to me that like people pick and choose the activities they think you must uh, avoid by political choice. There you go, D. What a radical statement. So, for instance, how in the world am I? I read that quote by the health commissioner. How can the health commissioner say that she doesn't see a health threat by reopening the schools? At the same time, she's standing by Lori when Lori is saying, Lori, excuse me, Mayor Lightfoot, I apologize. Mayor Lightfoot, when she's standing by Mayor Lightfoot and saying, if you walk, if you stop on the lakefront path and look at the clouds, we will ticket you. We will arrest you. I mean, somehow or other, congregating uh, in a park is dangerous to the body politic, but bringing kids back to school is not. And I, D, I understand. I had kids. They're all grown and are out of the house, but I know the logistical nightmare of trying to work while your kids are not in school and that the problems that's going to cause parents, the problems that's going to cause employers, the problems that's going to cause the city of Chicago. I understand all that. That's very real. And I also understand the fact that poor kids really need time in school uh, if they are even have any hope of keeping pace or not falling behind their wealthier peers. So I understand the importance of going to school, but we're in the middle of a freaking pandemic, D. So how can it be okay to send kids back to school if, I don't know, it's not okay to let the St. Louis Cardinals play baseball when like five or six baseball players have tested positive? Why do we have a different attitude about baseball players and basketball players than we do toward kids and teachers? And by the way, it's not just kids and teachers. The kids infect the teachers. The teachers come home, infect their families, et cetera, and so forth. So we've politicized this thing. Absolutely. I mean, even us, we, we haven't returned to the Sun-Times yet. No, and I don't think there's, I, it's going to be a lot. I think as much as I miss my beloved little studio, D, I got to tell you, I think we're, it's going to take a vaccine before they let us back in that studio. That thing's a Petri dish. And it's and, probably uh, dusty as hell. My God, no one's been there in a long time. Uh, Brian, could you get in there and like, you know, clean, just kidding. Brian. Uh, Brian, hurry up, get in there. So, by the way, I really do miss my um, city club plaque. I should have brought that home. Do you know, look at it. And I know thing. you miss that water fountain. I do miss the water fountain. But on the other hand, hold on. Hmm. 
Oh my God, is that delicious? Ew. So, I mean, we'll get into this a little further, but just the way people line up in Chicago, people, I, it's true. Everybody knows I love the Chicago Teachers Union and SDG comes on the show all the time. And uh, uh, we go at it. And she's been a good friend of the show since I've been on the air. So everybody knows that. But the, the hate people have for the Teachers Union, it's like, how dare they politicize the schools? How dare they do that? What? Oh, the schools aren't politicized? Like, every mayor that comes in automatically, as much as possible, lowers the test scores of the kids so that any increase is somehow or other indicative of something they've done? That's This has been going on. This is the games that politicians have played with the, the, the schools since I can recall. They weren't already politicized. It's only when the teachers get involved politically, then it's they're politicizing the situation. What about the kids? So, Dia, I don't know how they could have kept with a straight face, said it was safe to open the schools if somehow or other it's still not safe to, like, walk in a park or look at the clouds in a park. No, you can walk, but you have to walk briskly. What is it? Keep moving. No congregating. <laughs> no. Somehow or other, that's dangerous. And bars. Bars are dangerous. They're always mad at bars. They're always, but it's okay to put kids in a classroom. So I don't know. They, I don't get it. I, it's it, the whole politics between Lori Lightfoot and Stacey Davis Gates, between the mayor and the teachers union. It's so fractured. Uh, and I clearly it's not in the best interest of teachers or students to have it, this be, to have such a division. I've said this all along. I do not know why the mayor's office has not reached out to the Chicago teachers union on this, uh, and not just this issue, but other issues. All right, so that was the news earlier this week. Uh, now to this morning. This morning, Mayor Lightfoot gave a public press briefing on the decision of remote learning. We have some audio. Like to hear it? Here it goes. Shout out to ABC7 Chicago. And as always, please don't sue us. Since the beginning of this <laughs> pandemic, we made a firm commitment to every single resident that any action that we take in response to this disease would be rooted in the public health data and the science. And today's announcement is a continuation of that commitment to our parents, to our teachers, students, and the entire school community. And it is rooted in what we see, are seeing in the data and what we're hearing from our parents. Our decision to open CPS um, remotely this fall um, is based on our evolving public health situation and feedback that we've received notably from parents and faculty. D, here's something that, based on feedback from parents. Now, what if parents had said, you know what? I can't take another day with my kid in the house. The kid is driving me crazy. Open up those schools so I don't have to deal with that kid. What if that had been the response? Would they have opened the schools? I mean, there's either a health consideration, which is supported by the science and the data, or it's a political decision, which is supported by what parents tell you. And I don't know how you could be consistent and say, don't congregate on the bike path, don't go to bars, and open up the schools. I'm sorry, Dee, it's a mixed message. Now, it's true, I have a bias. 
I'm an old guy. I'm a boomer. I'm very afraid of catching the virus. Dennis kind of all three of those things. Very, very, very true. Old guy, boomer, afraid of the virus. Really afraid of the virus. So I understand that. So I understand a lot of younger people clearly don't have this fear of the virus. But I'm happy to say that a lot of my millennial friends are very considerate of me, D. So they're like, we're not going to come around you because I don't, they're like, we don't care if we get the virus because, you know, we're young and we're vibrant and it can't kill us. That's a lot of millennials have that attitude. Not so much now as they did before, but we appreciate you. So I know I have my bias, my fear of the virus, uh, but I got to tell you, it's either the science tells you that we're not out of danger, that we could have another spike uh, or the science says, no, it's OK. We're, we're, we're past the danger point. We can start doing things like bringing kids into classrooms, you know, and then the, like the plan. Well, the kid's going to wear a mask, Ben. Oh, OK. Obviously, you've never dealt with the eight year old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all that. Yeah. That eight year old is just going to keep the mask. On. This is like this is the same city in Chicago that when it got nice out was stunned when they saw people playing soccer at the lakefront. Remember that day? It was a nice day. Everybody's running around playing soccer. Mayor Lightfoot got really mad, had a press conference. No soccer. I, she held the pictures of the soccer. So what are they going to have? When a kid takes a mask off, they got to go have a press conference. And all, Look at this kid with the mask. I mean, come on, people, be real. We're in a pandemic. I know it's a huge inconvenience. Just a thought, just a thought of how to figure out the nightmare of going to work and taking care of your kid and making sure your kid is doing something other than what? What would a kid do? Do he play video games all day? I understand that's a nightmare. But it's either a risk or it's not a risk. And to pretend that it's somehow not risky to go back to school when it's so risky to go sit in a bar, that's what Dennis would call a mixed message. Make no mistake, here in Chicago, we are in a better place than most other areas in the country and in the surrounding area. But the fact of the matter is, we are seeing an increase in cases. Combined with the trends that we're seeing, the decision to, to um, start remotely makes sense for a district of CPS's size and diversity. But we also understand the struggle this will be for many of our parents who have to manage work, childcare, and all the other needs at home, which is in part why we're making this announcement now. We will be building on the lessons we learned from the launch of remote learning this spring to create a more sustainable model and one that is more structured and importantly, ensures that students with special needs will have the digital access that they need to succeed. That's in part why we launched our Chicago Connected program, a program that I'm immensely proud of and that has now become a national model for making sure that we provide free, emphasize free, high-speed internet service uh, to the homes of approximately 100,000 CPS students. And that work is ongoing. All right, let's hope that free high-speed internet service is up and going. That's F-R-E-E -E free, Ben. Yeah, well, where do I get in on that? Uh, no and, kidding. Uh, <laughs> our, our internet service, Mayor Lightfoot, our internet service is so slow. Oh, God. Uh, as Dennis and I have discovered since we've uh, done our show remotely. But uh, I recall when they first announced the program, they were talking about how it's going to take 
up to four years to implement it. <laughs> can we, hey, can we, it's high speed internet service. Can we, uh, you know, pick up the pace of getting it implemented? So anyway, listen, I don't know how she could have, I, listen, thank you, Mayor Lori Lightfoot for making the right decision. Uh, I don't know how she could have made any other decision, D, unless we were just going to, um, uh, uh, replicate Clay County. Isn't that the cl- the county downstate where the judge yeah. and uh, DB say, oh, there's no virus out there. Get back to work. No masks. Come on. Come on. All right. So that is the public relations. Please don't ask me any hard questions so I can go about my day portion of this morning's press briefing. But we have a lot more to unpack here. And thank God they allow reporters into these things to try and get the answers that we actually want to hear. First, Mayor Lightfoot was asked whether or not the pressure from the Chicago Teachers Union earlier in the week impacted her sudden decision, you know, perhaps to try and avoid another possible teacher strike. Or was it just coincidence that literally a day after CTU protested City Hall, she changed her mind? Let's hear the mayor. Did the pressure from the teachers union tip the scales? And if it's all about the science and health, why are the suburban districts and the Catholic schools still saying they will be open? Um, Let me take the the first part of your question. And the, the answer is no. You know, as we have now repeatedly said about every decision that we've made in the context of this uh, pandemic, we have to be guided by the science, period. Um, And um, when we announced the the potential for a hybrid model um, some weeks ago, we were in a very different place at the in the arc of the pandemic. And as Dr. Artie has attested to every single day since, what we're seeing is this increase in cases. Um, and in that context, not only an increase in cases here in Chicago, where relative to other parts of the country, we're doing very well, but we're looking at what we're seeing in suburban Cook, and we're looking at what we're seeing in other parts of the country, and um, people are, are fearful, and they are concerned. And so um, this was not an easy decision to make, um, but I think particularly about our youngest learners, our pre-K, kindergarten, one through four, uh, one through uh, three grades, um, those are children that really benefit enormously from in-person instruction. And what we have talked about is while we will be restarting uh, the fall um, remotely, we need to ensure that that we can as closely replicate that in-person contacts with teachers and other staff as much closely as possible. And so there will be different measures put in place to make sure um, that there is a level of accountability to make sure that our children are actually connected up with learning. Yeah, she know, uh, you notice she did not answer the second part of the question, which is why uh, are suburban and Catholic schools uh, staying open? And so I'll answer it for her. She, that's not my business. Can you imagine if I were the mayor? It's unbelievable. I, this It'd be refreshing, so that's for sure. I mean, it's not my business. Why, why don't you ask me, why is Florida open? I can't help it. If they decided it was a good idea to bring kids back into a classroom, whatever, I I don't run the Catholic schools. I don't run the suburban schools. Go ask them. This is our decision. You know, why don't you go ask Darren Bailey what he thinks about it? All right. I mean, it's not 
Lori Lightfoot has a lot on her plate. And one of the things on her plate is not what the Catholic schools do or the suburban schools. And I got news for you. This is the same discussion we had, D, about a month or so ago, or two months ago, when Wisconsin and Florida uh, opened up early. I remember this. I remember saying, well, maybe they know something that we don't know. Maybe Ron DeSantis is right, and all the medical experts are wrong. You know, maybe this virus is not that uh, dangerous. And now what we see in, in Florida, the pandemic has hit hard. And so they're wrestling with all kinds of issues about overcrowdedness at hospitals, et cetera, and so forth. Lori Leifert has to look out for people in Chicago. So she can't worry about what some suburban district is doing. And I got news for you. If that suburban district rolls the dice and it goes wrong, those parents will be yelling and screaming at the suburban school officials. And Lori Lightfoot can go, ha, 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 ha. Not that anybody should do that anyway. I remember when right in the, after, the immediate aftermath, of Ron DeSantis opening the state, all of, it's like all those Fox talking heads, Sean Hannity were like, well, we should go apologize to, to Ron DeSantis now because look, look how everything is great in Florida. And now, you know, they don't say that anymore. So again, it's a very dangerous situation. You either take the, the virus seriously uh, and you take precautions to protect people or you take that risk. And apparently, uh, some suburban school districts and Catholic school districts are willing to take that risk. That's not Lori Lightfoot's problem. And I wish she had said that, but I guess she doesn't need to get into a fight with the suburban school districts. I'm just picturing a Mayor Jarofsky. Excuse me, Mayor, Mayor, can you just wear a blazer once, please? <laughs> One time. Maybe a tie. I'm just saying. Get me, get me going on those suburban school districts, man. I'll be like, why, why do I care what they do? God damn. Do I live in Hinsdale? Huh? Okay. Oh, what? oh, that is the mayor. I thought that was the janitor. <laughs> one time, the, uh, oh my God, one time I couldn't help myself. There was a, uh, the, it was at the Chicago Teachers Union headquarters and there, there was some kind of press briefing. This is the good old days. Karen Jennings Lewis was in charge. And uh, we were having a negotiations. The reader was having negotiations with uh, the, the leader, our owners, a union negotiator, uh, union negotiations. Anyway, I walked in and this, the CTU allowed us to use a conference room for negotiations. I walk in to go to the conference room and there was the podium uh, and the mic and all the reporters were gathered around and Karen Lewis walked out. I couldn't resist it. I just walked up to the mic. Go, I'm sorry, I'm not taking any questions today. I'm sick and tired of answering your questions. I had a feeling of what it was like to be a really important person. And then they were, oh, leave it. Get out of here. And I went into the negotiations. <laughs> oh, that Ben. All right. He's got a million of them. And I'm going to ask you a question here. Maybe give me a percentage of uh, you, uh, the thought of uh, the CTU pressuring the mayor's decision to do this. What's the percentage of the CTU uh, affecting the mayor on this? I don't I don't think it, uh, they affected the mayor. I, I, by the, I'm just not buying into this CTU versus the mayor. I know uh, that Jesse Sharkey proclaimed it as a great victory. Jesse Sharkey, the head of the CTU. Love you, Jesse. But I didn't buy it that way. And I wish they hadn't presented that way. It's it's like a great it's either the right. It's not like a great decision. It's like we're not happy that they closed schools we wish the schools would be open i wish the schools would be open again i have kids i know what it's like oh my god just the thought of having kids at home trying to get some work done and trying to make sure they're getting some work done uh dad i want to watch some more reruns of the simpsons my youngest daughter would be she would have watched eight hours of the simpsons nonstop. 
By the way, you can learn a lot from watching The Simpsons. Just saying. All right. So I understand what they're going. But it's not a victory. We're in the middle of a pandemic. This is a freaking crisis. I don't understand why the Chicago Teachers Union and Mayor Lori Lightfoot are working together on this. And they've been Lori Lightfoot has not brought them in from any point. Were they at the press conference? I don't I don't have a seat. Is was uh, Jesse Sharkey standing behind Lori Lightfoot at that press conference? I don't don't believe so. so. I don't believe so. So zero, zero percentage that the CTU pressured the mayor's decision here. No, I don't think so. I think that um, I think that Mayor Lori Lightfoot, I think what was actually uh, uh, Jesse Sharkey may have made it. I got to give Jesse Sharkey credit for this point. He made uh, where he said she wants us to force the decision. So it's like this bizarre game of this this bizarre PR game that really no one's following except for like obsessive geeky reporters like myself like who's ahead who's behind you know uh, and uh, I do know this Lori Lightfoot has successfully turned most of the media against the Chicago Teachers Union I'm just saying that D based on conversations I've had with many off the record conversations then uh, your girl Stacy you really gotta do something well what do I, Stacey Davis Gates is her own person. Oh, Ben, could you give her a call and tell her what to do? Like, she's going to listen to me. You know what I'm saying, Dave? So I do believe that the um, it's a PR battle uh, between Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the Chicago Teachers Union. It's the, obviously the remnant from the 2019 mayoral election. And it's ridiculous uh, that the mayor hasn't reached out to them. And I'm sorry, she can deal with with the pandemics, with the restaurant association and the bar association, whatever, if, if there is such a thing, she should be able to deal with the teachers. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out and I'm going to make you walk home. Oh, wow. All right. Well, uh, CTU Vice President Stacey Davis Gates did post on Facebook during the mayor's press conference today. I have the post right here in my bearded face for podcasting. It's a little lengthy, but as always, SDG brings it. And (laughs) with SDG, she's going to be honest. All right. So let's read what she put here on uh, Facebook here. She says, I get the characterization of remote learning as a win. It makes sense only because our country has allowed politicians to turn the safety and morality of human beings into a political contest. Students, community groups, parents, and CTU Local 1 organized to force the mayor into making the best decision. We shouldn't have had to make her make that decision. Uh, And hashtag ERSB should have made the decision already. But this is Chicago. Honestly, once Trump said reopen schools, the decision was obvious. Victory lap? Nah, I'm a pass. We still have an extraordinary amount of work before us. This is a pandemic. It is killing us. Black, brown, and immigrant families need more than a belated decision on remote learning. Every single family in Chicago needs a check. See? Hashtag universal basic income. Hashtag support families. The moratorium on evictions ends on the 22nd. See? Extend the moratorium. You can't do remote learning without a home. Unemployment benefits have ceased. See? Pass the Hashtag Heroes Act. Every student does not have a device or access to broadband. See? Demand that the mayor and CPS purchase a device and hotspot for every single uh, single student in CPS. We have 34 days until the start of school. We have a lot of work to do uh, in a short amount of time. This will require partnership. We continue to extend our hand. 
I'm with who's ERSPD. I'm looking it up. Hash, right now. Th- that first hashtag. Mm-hmm. I'm with her. I'm with her on that one. And and everything she says is true. Absolutely, every one of those points impacts uh, students. Think about it. If you get evicted. It's a huge impact on a student's life. And right now, Dean, we talk about this all the time. We're facing the possibility of mass evictions. I've been reading stories about this for the last week uh, because the, the aid that the federal government has been providing Americans who are out of work has ceased. And so rent checks are due. And what's going to happen when people, when parents can't pay the rent? It's a very real problem. And the city of Chicago, the leaders in the city should be working with the Congress, congressional representatives that the city has, with the unions that the city has to put the pressure on uh, the uh, Republicans in the Senate to pass aid, continued aid, that's $600 a week. It should be all team effort. They should all be working together. But this nonsense in the city of Chicago, where it's like a battle between the mayor uh, and the union over whether the mayor follows her own dictates on doing everything we can to avoid spreading the virus is ridiculous. And it's not helping anyone except perhaps maybe the Republicans. So I, I'm with Stacey uh, on, on that one. I do believe that it's time the Democratic Party, particularly as we head toward November's election, be on the same page on these just basic fundamental democratic values. All right, by the way, uh, ERSB, early reading skills builder. That's correct. Mm. See, Stacy's into that uh, Twitter stuff. I, I get her credit for that. <laughs> that She's Twitter stuff. <laughs> At Twitter. Uh, hashtag, uh, e- <laughs> hashtag Stacy. So... Oh, Frank on the live stream chat says uh, Stacey Davis Gates so should run for mayor. And then Brianna <laughs> agreed 100%, Frank. Uh, listen, I, I'm a huge fan of Stacey Davis Gates. I say it all the time because of my show. And so many people are telling me, Ben, you don't know her. She's not. She's fooled you. She's tricked you. They always tell me that. You don't know the real Stacey Davis Gates. So many people have told me that. Uh, but uh, anyway, I don't know. That that just politicizes the very issue. Uh, but she does, um, I got to say this, those are Democratic values. Everything she put in that tweet are Democratic values that Lori Lightfoot and J.B. Pritzker uh, should sign on to. All right. And uh, do you think uh, there is any possibility Stacey Davis Gates runs for mayor? Mm, I don't think so. All I right. think Brandon Johnson, if it's coming from oh, the, uh, the Chicago teachers, I think Brandon Johnson is a more likely candidate uh, than uh, SDG. All right. On to the next question here in this press briefing. Hey, about that plan to help those who can't afford uh, to keep their kids home during the school year. Uh, what is it again? Is the city going to keep some schools open with administrators like they did during the strike for parents who have no other child care options? <clears throat> will there be a backup child care plan and who will it involve? Well, we, we are looking, as I mentioned in my remarks, and I believe Dr. Jackson um, also indicated, uh, we're looking at um, a range of options. We know that for some parents, they simply can't afford to stay home. They don't have that luxury. And we want to make sure that particularly 
uh, for those parents, our essential workers, um, that their students have every opportunity uh, to learn as possible. And that, in some instances, is going to involve providing um, options for them outside of their home. We recognize that, and um, CPS is hard at work. And Dr. Jackson, I don't know if you want to comment further on that. As the mayor pointed out, we are currently working on a plan to support um, essential workers and other individuals who may fall in, in that category where they need child care um, services. And just to underscore the point that was made earlier, um, when we released the framework, it was a draft, and we said at that time it was a plan that we would implement when it was safe to do so. Um, I just want to thank all of our parents um, in particular who stepped up and participated in the town halls last week. Um, those conversations were really good and useful. All right, so there's a plan. Uh, Didn't really hear the details, but there is yeah. a plan. Well, they're working on something, okay? So again, is the Chicago Teacher Union part of that workshop? Do they have uh, teachers working with them? You know, so you have to figure out some alternative. Uh, it's essentially childcare. And so essential workers, it's absolutely true. Essential workers uh, if gotta get to work what are their where are their kids going to go if there's no uh grandparent or uncle or aunt or dear friend or older brother or sister etc to look out for the kid what are what are the kids going to go so yes you need to you need to take care of that just like you got to worry about where the rent is going to come from will be will there be mass evictions these are all the really difficult problems and challenges that this pandemic has caused. So simply saying, well, just we'll deal with that by opening up the schools and putting kids, kids in, well, that takes care of that problem. Now essential workers can go to work. Oh yeah, what happens when uh, kids spread the, uh, the virus to their parents and they can't even get to work anymore? So obviously there needs to be planning and I don't understand again why teachers aren't in the room helping with the planning. Or what are you gonna uh, turn over to the park district? The park district employees should be in the room. It shouldn't be this typical Chicago thing where everything is top down. The mayor and just her closest advisors get together and they make some plans uh, and then they announce it to the teachers. And then we have the teachers responding uh, with their counter proposal, like everything is a, a negotiations and then the mayor ignores them. And so then there's a protest uh, and then the mayor finally bows to reality and the teachers say, hooray, triumph. We arrived at this decision that was supposedly dictated by the science. Why should it be something that's viewed as a political victory or uh, a political retreat, which is you watch the critics of the mayor who say she should have stayed tough to the union. I'm doing what? Open the schools? Is that it? That's good for the kids? We are in a crazy situation, D, in the city of Chicago. Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! And finally, a question during Mayor Lightfoot's press briefing that has nothing to do with schools or the coronavirus whatsoever. Madigan Gate! Yes, oh, the time... You asked her about that? <laughs> <The> time... <laughs> That's right, the time utility giant's Commonwealth Edison admitted to allegedly arranging jobs allegedly arranging contracts and allegedly arranging payoffs to Democratic Illinois House Speaker Mike Madigan's associates, allegedly. Uh, so oh, now, as you will hear uh, here shortly uh, this morning, six, count them six, Chicago City Council members made public announcements saying that Speaker Madigan should resign. Ben, 
Would you like to take a guess as to who those six city council members are? So you're going to make me do this now before you play uh, Lori Lightfoot's response to Madigan Gate? Is of that course. What you're do? Of course I'm going to. Who are the six really city aldermen who uh, said Madigan should resign? All right. Um, this is a tricky one. And I try to cheat. And oh, because Dennis told me, yeah, there were six aldermen. I go, really? I looked up on a, uh, I looked at my morning newspaper. Not in my morning newspaper. Oh God, this is like this is like stuff that only Dennis and Frank know. Just and kidding. the rest of America, because we read the internet. <laughs> but go ahead. Uh, so this is a really uh, tricky one, folks, and you, you, you just got to get into sort of the mentality of a Chicago alderman or a Chicago politician. Again, let me set this up. Michael Joseph Madigan is the most powerful. Uh, state uh, house figure, perhaps second to Pritzker. Okay, so he's second to Pritzker. De- definitely in the general assembly, he's the most powerful man. And everybody's afraid to uh, unnecessarily antagonize him uh, because there could be consequences if he's still in office a year from now. So state reps are really wary. We've been counting all week, right, D? Uh, the number of state reps. By the way, can I give a shout out in the middle of this to Eric Zorn? Can I do that, D? We you want me to Eric Zorn wrote a column today that was really uh, clever. I got to give him a lot of credit. Uh, it's <laughs> Eric Zorn, of course, Chicago Tribune columnist, so I urge everybody to check him out. Uh, it's called If True. Did you see this, D? Uh, well, no, you didn't because it was in the newspaper. <laughs> I saw it in the newspaper, although I'm sure it's on the Internet as well. Anyway, I laughed at it because I'm a baby boomer, so I know what F Troop is. So I didn't think any millennial would get the joke. But then to my amazement, when I told Dennis about it, he got the joke. Yeah, I know F Troop. T- great show, by the way. Larry Storch, was it Storch or Storch? I think it was. Millennials, hang tight here, all right? We got a lot of references in 2020 coming up, guys, please. By the way, we had a great interview yesterday with Joshua Smizer de Leon, which will probably drop on Saturday, but it was so funny. We got a little, he's a millennial, and he was teasing me like crazy, as millennials do. But uh, anyway, so if troop, and that's the troop of Democratic legislators, and congratulations, Eric, for coming up with this gag. The troop of Democratic uh, legislators who say they will call <laughs> Madigan to step down if the allegations prove true. Well, they're not allegations, okay? It's a it's a plea agreement. It, Commonwealth Edison is not alleging. They're not alleging that Commonwealth Edison paid off these people. Commonwealth Edison said, we hired these people to curry favor with Madigan. So now the issue is, did Madigan know about it? Did he change his behavior because of it? Okay. So anyway, if the allegations prove true is what the if troop says, we'll go against Madigan. Uh, and the real, the real reason is that it, they're afraid because he's a very powerful uh, politician and there could be ramifications if uh, you upset him and uh, if he's still around all these people particularly Mayor Lori Lightfoot and J.P. Pritzker are going to need him to get legislation uh, through the General Assembly so yeah everybody is just tiptoeing around uh, this one so when you ask me about six aldermen I'm like I say you're kind of tiptoeing around this question I asked you about these six aldermen uh, so oh, I'm going to I'm going to start the timer I'm going to start the timer and see if you can name the six aldermen who said Madigan should resign Ben Jarofsky go all right. Well, my first instinct was Raylo, but uh, no, because he's a Southwest Sider and he's close to uh, Ed Burke. So, no, I'm going to go with the radicals. I'm going on with the radicals and uh, there's six of them. I'm going to go with. Uh, um, uh, um, uh, is not an answer. Uh, Rosanna Rodriguez, uh, Danny La Spada. 
uh, Byron, Sister Lopez. Jeez. Uh, uh, I don't think uh, Jeanette Taylor would be on that list because the black politicians in this city have been backing off. They've not gone because they think uh, they've equated, they're championing the notion that you're innocent until proven otherwise. So I don't think Jeanette's on that one. I don't know, D. I give up. Uh, oh, um, my alderman, Matt Martin. I'll bet you Matt Martin's on the list, and I don't know who the six is. I, I've run out of steam. I've done five, so I'll just take a, a wild guess. Uh, oh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa. There. There's my all six. All right. Well, you did pretty well. Didn't get them all, but uh, we got Matt Martin. You were right about that. Uh, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez was on there. You said her. Uh, Daniel Espada. Byron Sicho Lopez. And here are the two that you didn't uh, say here. Uh, Andre Vasquez and Maria Haddon. Oh, yeah, man. Andre Vasquez. Hey, I should have put him on the list because he ran against Pat O'Connor. Uh, and, and Carlos didn't do it, huh? Carlos is not on that list? No, if you notice, it's all uh, newly elected. So I feel like these these uh, people want to get their name out there, right? Carlos Carlos is like, ah, you know, people know who I am. I'm good. Yeah, maybe, or maybe. Raylo's like, uh, ah, you know, I've, I've been around the block. I'm good on that. If you notice, it's all the newly elected. All and I'm also saying they're not people with close ties to unions. The unions are very supportive of uh, Michael Madigan because Michael Madigan stood by them during the four years of his fight with Bruce Rauner. And so Carlos is pretty close uh, with the teachers union. So I that could be uh, why Carlos like, oh, I'm not going there. Uh, uh, this is not my first tools. rodeo. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all the rookies. Hey, you go. What's that old commercial, D? Hey, give it to Mikey. See if he likes it. Yeah, let's see if the rookies fall. Uh, please, uh, but, please uh, keep listening, millennials. Okay, but speaking of, uh, Jay Marie weighed. I got four out of six. You got bad. you got four. Not bad. Uh, Jay Marie weighed in on the live stream chat. She says, Ben kills me with his acknowledgement of only two generations, boomers and millennials. There's like five or six others currently living at the moment. Yeah, but the Gen X. I give the Z's credit. Uh, Ah, Jamie, out of the Gen X. Come on, Jamie. If you're Gen X, come on, come on. I, I'm just saying, Gen X, kind of lame. I'm just. Can you think of any Gen X cool? You know, you got boomers, you got millennials. You're right, Jay Marie. Uh, the Z's are coming on. They're pretty cool. Uh, oh, they got the old geezers. Uh, yeah, the um, the greatest generation. Yeah, so that's five. I'm trying to count up the five. What, what am I missing here? I don't know. I've, I've just offended all the Gen X's. Wednesday. I'm sorry. Wednesday. Oh, Mick Dumkey, my dear friend Mick Dumkey is a Gen X. Ramana Hussein is a Gen X. I think Eric Zorn may be a Gen X. When, Wednesday, August 5th, 159. Today we lost all of our Gen X listeners. <laughs> Come on. Gen write X that listeners. Down. Name someone good from your generation that you're really proud of. All right, here's Lori. Silence is deafening. Here's Lori Lightfoot on Madigan Gate. There are some that might also say it's time to step up for leadership and talk about Mike Madigan. Six Chicago City Council members today called for him to step down. Is he the leader you want to represent Democrats coming up at the Democratic National Convention as you nominate Joe Biden? Well, look, I've spoken on the circumstances involving Mike Madigan, as have a number of people really since we saw um, the shocking revelations um, depicted by the U.S. Attorney's um, Office in the Deferred Prosecution Agreement. Uh, I think this is a time where we have to have a serious conversation um, as Democrats at every level about what we, we stand for. And I think people are having
having that conversation and the latest announcement from members of the uh, um, Democratic Socialist uh, Group of City Council, um, I think speak to uh, the necessity of, of that conversation moving forward. <laughs> what a duck and duck. Hey. Lori Lightfoot is not a fool, D, all right? <laughs> Candidate Lori Lightfoot, remember her bashing Burke? It's the reason she got elected. Okay, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Look, who asked the question? Who, who did you say Marianne Anhurst? No, oh, it was, Ma was Marianne Ahern. But there was Literally. she was a, she was yeah. asking questions from other uh, media outlets. She was the only one kind of allowed in there. That is, by the way, all right. Uh, if you if, if there's any journalism students out there, that was really a well phrased question. This question has been asked. So here's okay, little journalism uh, lesson here. You're every day. You're a report, reporter and your everyday assignment is to ask the same question of a politician. So in this case, uh, what is his or her attitude toward Michael Joseph Madigan? Nothing's changed. Comment, a plea bargain was like two weeks ago, D, so nothing new has come out. But every day you have to ask that question. So every day you have to figure out a new way to ask it. So that was a good way of asking. Do you th tying it to the Democratic, whoever, the Democratic Convention, whoever came up with that one, give them a raise, because that's a good way of asking that question. Excellent. I don't know who asked, whose question, who devised it, but it was a good way of asking. Total duck and dodge uh, by uh, Lori Lightfoot. And by the way, I want to point out that most of the people, uh, the six rookie aldermen are all Democratic Socialists. None of them are Mayor Lori Lightfoot allies in the Chicago City Council. Well, that's interesting right there in that. But uh, no, I think um, Lori Lightfoot's no fool, and she realizes that if Michael Joseph Madigan is still around uh, at the end of the year, she's going to need him uh, to get legislation through Springfield, so she's not going to say anything that would alienate him. Uh, she's not candidate Lightfoot anymore. She's Mayor Lightfoot, uh, and there's no percentage in it for her uh, to alienate uh, Michael Joseph Madigan. So in that regard, she's no different than like Will Cazardi, state representative Will Cazardi, uh, who I think is Lori Lightfoot's state rep down in Spring Springfield. Uh, you know, he you notice she's not <laughs> haven't heard from Will Cazardi in this one day, huh? You know, oh, yeah, you a little cautious. Oh. Come on, Cazardi. Come on, come on from out under the table. I'm scared. Uh, Lindsay LaPointe, I like to say, State Representative Lindsay LaPointe from the Northwest Side, a lot of guts. Uh, she said he should step down. She's newly elected. She's a rookie. So I've got to give her uh, a shout out. As much as I appreciate Michael Joseph Madigan for standing up to Ronner, I always appreciate him. I think it's time he stepped down. That's my personal opinion. All right. So that's our uh, city news coverage here today. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker at 2.30 will be giving his uh, COVID-19 press briefing. Best concert? Yeah, Steve Miller Band <laughs> and the Eagles. Okay. No one, no one asked you, but he loves the Eagles, guys. You see how decisive he was on that? Now ask him about Michael Joseph Madigan. Well, uh, God, <laughs> he, he might answer the, the question the same way. Um, yeah. Do you think Michael Joseph Madigan should step down, Governor Pritzker? Did I tell you I like the Eagles? <laughs> hang on, hang on. How about Lori? That was that was a hell of a filibuster. Uh, as I addressed this issue uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, you said if you were part of the if troop, that's what you were. Eric Zorn, shout out to Eric Zorn, if troop. That's one of those things, Dima. Why did I think of that? All right, let's go to the live stream chat here. Uh, people are weighing in uh, with their great or decent Gen Xers. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Brianna wow. got the conversation going. Barack Obama. 
I believe he's a baby boomer, isn't he? Sixty-one. He was, he was, born, I mean, he was born at sixty-one, and it says That's here on baby yeah, it says here online that it's uh, sixty-five to nineteen eighty. So yeah, sixty-five to eighty. That's the generation you got to think. I'll name two: Mick Dumpke and Ramana Hussein. Okay, there you go. Two. That's it. And maybe Jay Marie. I think Jay Marie may be a Gen Xer, so I'll throw Jay Marie in the mix. All right, there you go. So uh, according There's to three, I came up with three. All right, D. All right. Any others live stream chat, please feel free to weigh in. And also, please feel free to find the Ben Jarofsky show on social media if you've yet to. All right. At Benny J show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show. Leroy just followed the Ben Jarofsky show on Facebook. Leroy, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, at Benny J show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can send us an email. Benny J show at at gmail.com and guys i'm sitting here waiting by the phone no one's left us a voicemail 708-658-4788 i'm sitting by the phone waiting here guys 708-658-4788 you can leave us a voicemail and more than likely we will play your voicemail on the program if you're not insane or crazy or cursing up a storm you know if you have some political uh information you'd like to give us we'd love to uh, play your voicemail on the program Hello? Hello? Just kidding. I just love doing that gag. Sorry, dude. That's a great gag. Keep it up. That's a great gag. I like it. All right. So we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, Monroe Anderson, the legendary Chicago journalist, is going to be joining us. Ben, let's keep these listeners listening. What do you plan on talking with uh, about with Monroe? Well, Monroe, we're going to go through uh, the uh, Lichtman uh, form- formula for picking uh, presidents. Uh, and Monroe is just up in arms about Donald Trump. And uh, he agrees with Frank, uh, his uh, hypocritical attitude uh, toward voting by mail. Talk about the post office, how Trump's trying to sabotage the post office uh, to win this election. I'll tell you what, the part of Lichtman's formula that uh, he does not cover is cheating. Okay. Uh, so Lickman's formula, which I just ran through professor Lickman, the formula he has devised to predict how, uh, the electorate will go is based on this notion that it's a pragmatic group of voters who are looking out for the best interests of the country, more or less objectively. So it doesn't take into consideration the wacky uh, electoral college system, which enables the loser to win. That's a huge flaw that it doesn't take into consideration. And it doesn't take into consideration the possibility that there will be cheating. Uh, and I call cheating what Donald Trump and the Republicans have been trying to do for the last four years, suppress the vote, uh, keep people who should be voting from voting. They, you could see them already at work in Wisconsin, uh, where they, in the last election, but it was the, how many, uh, we got, I think there was five polling places, uh, in Milwaukee for the entire city. So, uh, these are just, and these are just some of the factors that will shape, uh, the outcome in, uh, November. All right. Jay Marie on the live stream chat. She's got a great point. Jeanette Taylor is a Gen Xer. You know what? I sit corrected. You're right. Love, I love JT. I think Stacy Davis Gates. Stacy Davis Gen Gates, X. Gen Xer. All right. You know what, Jay Marie? You Brand- got me. I just, you know. Brandon Johnson? Right Brandon Johnson? I'm pretty sure he's a Gen Xer. Yeah, he's probably a Gen Xer. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he, he, he I don't know, D. He could be a millennial, but whatever. Point well taken, Jay Marie. You're right. I'm wrong. Surprise, surprise. Ben Jarofsky's <laughs> wrong on another Ben Jarofsky show. Okay, everybody, we're going to take a break here. Monroe Anderson, when we come back, don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky show live from my apartment in Ben's attic. City voted just for fun. 
correct. the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Let me tell you about voting by mail. It's pretty cool. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. 
Normally, vote by mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote by mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So visit VoteMailChicago.com. That's VoteMailChicago.com dot com for call scripts and a petition one more time vote v-o-t-e mail m-a-i-l chicago c-h-i-c-a-g-o dot com to make sure that every voter in cook county has safe and equitable polling that's correct rediscover our fascinating city this summer on a walking tour from the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Our entertaining and expertly trained docents will guide you through the Chicago you've been longing to explore, from magnificent downtown architecture to awe-inspiring neighborhood gems. If it's worth seeing, we'll take you there. Get tickets at architecture.org forward slash tours. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. We're back. Ben, you there? I am here. All right. There he is, Monroe Anderson. Am I very dapper. Hi, Gar. All right. Looking very dapper, Monroe. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Looking very, very dapper. Uh, Monroe Anderson, a legendary Chicago journalist, uh, comes on my show every uh, uh, Wednesday and lists his Facebook post. <laughs> He is uh, doing some serious trash talking. Here we go. Uh, Monroe Anderson, trash talking Donald Trump. What else is new? Come November 3rd, Trump is DOA as per... <laughs> as per it may take a little longer than December 3rd uh, to count the votes. Whatever. Uh, Joe Biden has pledged to pick a... walking dead after that. Okay, walking dead. Joe Biden has pledged to pick a woman for vice presidential running mate, which means Americans will have its first woman veep. Who is your pick? Republicans want Susan Rice, President Obama's national security advisor. Young Democrats want Elizabeth Warren. Most black Americans want a black woman as Biden's running mate, be it Rice, Kamala Harris, Val Demings, or Karen Bass. Voice your choice. Uh, it's Wednesday, so uh, Ben Jarofsky and I will be discussing this and more of Trump's follies and F-ups. 
Monroe is uh, very good about not swearing on Facebook. When it comes to my show, it's a different thing. Um, things like his promoting mail-in voting for Floridians while suing to stop Novadians for the same right and whether pronouncing Yosemite as Yosemite is another sign of his dementia or just another example of his ignorance. Where is Yosemite Sam when we need him both? That's pretty funny. Uh, I sent Dennis uh, a... Uh, a link to that. Did you get that, D? That uh, yes, I did. Link the, all right. Uh, let's just start with that one, D. Why don't you play that one? I don't know if everybody heard that one. All right, Donald Trump. I have two of them. I have him uh, mispronouncing, and I have him uh, speaking about uh, Yosemite. All from you. Mispronouncing. Okay, great. Hang tight. Into the sky, when they gaze upon Yosemites, Yosemites towering sequoias. Their love of. Oh, yeah, that there was you it. go. That was it. It was just abbreviated. It's a short one. I just didn't want to go. Yeah, yo, semi. Hey, man, come on, Monroe. You're hard on Trump. Everybody has a bad day. I mispronounce words all the time. And, and, and so do I, but I don't do it twice in a row. Yeah, and you're not the president of the United States. And, and you're not the. And it's not a national park, of which I'm, uh, which is part of my responsibility and job. And. Uh, yeah, I, I I grew up um, about the same, pretty much exactly same time as Trump, and there was Yosemite Sam on the cartoon. No, there's yeah, and the other point, uh, which I'd love to get your thoughts on, is that one of the key uh, tactics that Trump was going to employ against Joe Biden was to write him off uh, as a doddering and demented old fool. That was yeah. Trump's playbook. And I still get oh, no, emails from the party on that point, like yeah, talking yeah. about uh, Biden's dementia. So right. kind of undercuts that argument, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. No, well, if you'll recall, about three and a half years ago, I told you that he had early early stage Alzheimer's. Trump did. Mm-hmm. And now it's advanced. It's middle school. <laughs> Alzheimer's now. Well, as uh, we all know, also, it, it won't matter with his uh, his base. And let me just get into this uh, before we go further. It was a very good column, which I instructed you to read. I don't know if you got an opportunity to read it uh, by Jamel Bowie in the uh, New York Times. Trump is going for a technical knockout. And uh, we've been saying this for a long time. Donald Trump realized that he does not need a majority of voters to be reelected. All he needs is a majority of electoral college voters. Uh, And so his entire campaign is predicated on ignoring blue states and going uh, after uh, the swing states. And we've known that from the get-go, Monroe. Uh, So why the Democrats haven't launched an all-out assault in electoral college yet, I do not know. Let's hope if, if... if Trump prevails this time, they will well, get around to it. Yeah, uh, the Electoral College will have absolutely positively nothing to do with this. Well, Trump is going to get whooped. That th- these are the the states, the states in question: Florida, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Uh, that is where Donald Trump thinks he could win re-election, and it doesn't matter how many people in Illinois vote for him or against him. Uh, California, but he's losing 
by double digits in those states. So, and then there are others that he has weaknesses in, Colorado, Arizona, Nevada. I mean, he, he has so many ways to lose. And they're major ways. And the problem is, as I've said on your show before, and I will com- uh, uh, repeat it till November 3rd, if necessary, is that people are dying. We're up to 157,000 now. The projection is by November 2nd, it'll be 200,000. Now, everybody who's lost a relative or a friend or someone they knew and uh, someone they knew casually is not going to rush out and say, "I want four more years of this." Mm-hmm. And he has no plan to. In fact, what he's doing is he's ignoring the pandemic, pretending like it's not there, and poof, it's going to go away magically. But he has no plan, and even if we were to get the vaccines that he thinks we're going to get, or he hopes we're going to get um, before election day. Who would have confidence that this idiot could oversee (laughs) the the distribution, distribution of it? So he's just gone. It's gone. It's no way. Uh, Well, then there's... You can think of it this way. Trump is uh, isn't running against Biden. He's running against the COVID-19. The COVID-19 is beating him to death. Uh, That is actually a very good point. Let me me go to uh, what's been on my mind. I had a lot of fun with this earlier in the show. Uh, Professor uh, Alan Lichtman, I told you about it briefly. Uh, He is the history professor from American University uh, who got quite a claim in 2016 for correctly predicting that Donald Trump would win. I have an asterisk next to his prediction uh, because it was an electoral college win. Uh, But whatever, I'll put that asterisk to his side. And he also... He had been predicting um, wins for three or four elections prior to that. Well, no, going back to 1984. Now, okay, I have an asterisk next to that one as well because most of those uh, election predictions, I could have predicted in 1984 that Ronald W. Reagan would win re-election. All right, but let's put that aside. Let's give Lickman credit, all right? He's got this formula, and this uh, his, his assumption... Monroe, follow me on this, is that uh, by and large, the American electorate uh, is a pragmatic group of voters who objectively review without bias the pros and cons of any administration and come to a conclusion based on how that administration has functioned uh, in the previous four years as to who they want to rule the land. Uh, and when he adds up, he has a list of 13 questions that are true or false questions that uh, if if the answer to those questions is a majority of false, then the incumbent will lose. If a majority of those answers are true, the incumbent will win. And almost every single one of these questions, like, for instance, short term, is the short term economy strong? The answer is false because of the pandemic. Right. And when I look at uh, Lichtman, and I've been listening to you now say the same thing, essentially, Donald Trump was on the road, if you believe Lichtman, for re-election, 
until the pandemic hit. Because all the, a lot of these falses that are hurt in the Lickman formula that are going against Trump would probably not be going against Trump if not for the pandemic. Your thoughts? I, I, Trump, Trump was going to lose six months ago. He's on the road to losing. As, and, um, he's just going to lose in, in a much greater number now than that. He, he has been the worst president in American history. He was impeached. He's a tool of Putin's. <laughs> <laughs> and he hasn't accomplished anything. Uh, Mitch delivered the, the judges for him, and he, he gave all the money to the rich. But other than that, what, what has he done? You know, this is why I don't even believe that he's going to debate Biden. Because uh, I, he's going to chicken out. I, I mean, why would, why would Biden debate Trump? Why would Biden do oh, uh, Biden would debate Trump to expose it, further expose it. Well, I, I could make an argument for Joe Biden not to debate Trump as well. Oh, yeah, no, I'm uh, I, so far ahead, but no, no, no. Biden is so superior to Trump that Biden will come off at, if these debates occur as a sound, looking and sounding like the president, and Trump will come off sounding and looking like the fraud he is because he doesn't know anything, and he's going to lie. He's going to lie. He's going to lie his way through the debates. But um, the problem is um, George Floyd. And the pandemic took all his clothes away. I mean, he put a spotlight on on the emperor with no clothes. Mm-hmm. All right, here's another uh, a true or false question they asked in Lichtman's formula, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I'm going to take it. Uh, so one of the questions is no third party uh, candidate, and uh, that could work for or against an incumbent. So I don't even know how that true or false. Uh, I don't know if that question is the true or false uh, aspect of that question works for Lakeman. For instance, in 1992, uh, Ross Perot, in my humble opinion, a third party candidate, effectively delivered the election to Bill Clinton because yeah. he took votes from yeah. uh, the incumbent, uh, George Bush. So uh, when I look at this particular election, uh, and Lakeman did mention that Kanye West is a potential third party uh, candidate that he could get on the ballot. And I noticed, I mentioned this earlier, Monroe, that um, Democrats are opposing Kanye to kick him off the ballot and Republicans are working to help Kanye get on the ballot. So the conventional wisdom is that Kanye West's presence uh, on the ballot, even if he doesn't even actively campaign, will work against Joe Biden in the Democrats. Do you buy that conventional wisdom? Uh, yeah, because there's, there are some young people inexperienced in voting and um, who, who aren't turned on by Biden who will vote for Kanye as, as a protest. But I don't think it will be enough to matter. So, so you don't think those voters would going to go for Trump? No. <laughs> no, no. Kanye's voters, no. No. What a bizarre statement. 
if Kanye West over the last four years has been a Donald Trump supporter. Right. So if you're opposed to Donald Trump and you don't want Donald Trump to be reelected, why would you vote for the guy who will pretty much help Donald Trump get reelected? That is that is a vote that is so illogical. I know, but then if you, I mean, I, I, on Facebook, which is my unscientific gauge of how things are going, uh, there's a young black guy out of Indianapolis. His name is Donnell Anderson. No relation. Mm-hmm. And he hates Biden. He hates Trump. He, he was a Bernie person. And so he's still um, making arguments against Biden. And he wouldn't vote for Trump. I keep trying to explain to him how this is binary, a binary decision. He doesn't seem to quite get it. So if Kanye were on the ticket, his type would vote for Kanye. Okay, well, that's exhibit A of what I call a voter who would not vote for Joe Biden under any circumstances. I've said this on the show many times. I know many lefty voters that way. They're not voting for Joe Biden. So the notion that they're like a, it's like a voter who would have ordinarily voted for Joe Biden, but he's decided that Kanye West somehow or other more represents his or her interests. I think it's a false notion. I, I think it's like the voters who voted for. But, you know, but there, there is a certain amount of people that are not logical voters at all. And they vote from the gut or they vote from the heart or they vote from they don't use their heads. And so they will uh, vote and it, the vote makes no sense to anybody but them. You know, for example, uh, James N., he, 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 he's a Trump supporter, although he claims he's a, a Democrat, and that he's voted for all these other Democrats. But he defends and regurgitates Trump's talking point. And, you know, he talks about how Biden is a racist. And I've pointed out to him several times of Trump's long history dating back to the 70s of being a racist. And that's just, it's, it's, it's water rolling off a duck's back. It, it does, he doesn't get that at all. He just wants to stick with the fact that uh, Biden did the, the 1994 crime bill. And that Biden uh, called J- Jesse Jackson a boy. And this makes Biden the worst racist in the world. Well, it, it, based on that evidence, I would say you're just talking to a Republican who doesn't want to admit that he's a Republican and wants to make it look somehow that he's an objective observer of politics, uh, because I'm sorry, that just doesn't make any, there's no logic to that decision. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that I get that from, there are others who are like that, Yeah. that I fight with. And All right, I, I try to try to have logical arguments with them and there is no logic there. All right. I want to uh, uh, have a discussion about uh, Donald Trump's comments regarding John Lewis. Love to get your thoughts on this. Uh, Did we still play that one? Do we still have that, that bit? 
the from yesterday's show, the I'll look for interview. Uh, so this, of course, is the Axios interview that um, Donald Trump did. What was it? Sunday, I want to say, or I don't know. I can't remember when he did it, but it dropped uh, this week and people have been watching and talking about it in his comments about uh, John Lewis. Really, uh, how though they could come out of his mouth, I'm not quite sure. Uh, and how uh, any uh, voter who cares about civil rights, you got it, D? All right, let's uh, hear Donald Trump. This Donald Trump on John Lewis. Go ahead. John Lewis is lying in state in the U.S. Capitol. How do you think history will remember John Lewis? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know John Lewis. Uh, he chose not to come to my uh, uh, inauguration. Uh, he chose. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, I never met John Lewis. Actually, I don't believe. Do you find him impressive? Uh, I can't say one way or the other. I find a lot of people impressive. I find many people not impressive, but no, but I didn't Did go. you find his story he impressive? Come, he didn't come to my inauguration. He didn't come to my State of the Union speeches, and that's okay, that's his right. And again, nobody has done more right. for but, but back black to the, Americans than I have. I understand. He should have come. But back, I think he made a big mistake. But, but, I think ta- he but taking come. your relationship with him out of it, do you find his story impressive, what he's done for this country? He was a person that devoted a lot of energy and a lot of heart to civil rights, but there were many others also. There's a petition to rename the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama as the John Lewis Bridge. Would you support that idea? I would, I would have no objection to it if yeah. they'd like to do it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Would have no objection to it whatsoever. Okay. General thoughts, Monroe. Do you know who did more for civil rights than John Lewis? I'll tell you who. Putin. And also, now you do recall that uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was, Trump told us that nobody, no president had done more for black folks than him, except maybe Lincoln. Wait, well, let me go. Uh, in this quote, in this excerpt, this is the part I, I, he said, and I'm quoting, nobody, not just a president, nobody has done more for black Americans than I have. At which point Swain trying, or Swan trying to get to the next point goes, I understand. I would have loved for him to have like, gone down a list. Wait a minute. Hold on. Uh, President Trump, are you telling me you've done more for black Americans than let's say Martin Luther King? Are you saying you've done, have you done more for black Americans than let's say Rosa Parks, you know, uh, or his, his good buddy, uh, Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass. Yeah. <laughs> Who I'm convinced. See, this is what I don't understand. How, how can anybody take seriously Donald Trump as a credible figure in American politics when he says such utter nonsense? And I, we make fun on this show all the time of Joe Biden, okay, for some of the babbling things he says. But at his worst moment, right. nobody has done more for black Americans than I have. Right. It's an utterly preposterous remark, Monroe. And what's even more preposterous about it is that um, there's going to be record black turnout, voter turnout in November. 
and they're going to be out turning out to vote against Trump. So I guess we're just ingrates or something. With with the exception of your friend on Facebook, who's going to vote for Kanye. All right, let's talk about that. Uh, what Donald Trump is going to be up to in terms of deterring voters from voting. Uh, UN, one of our listeners, Frank, have uh, honed in on this. Uh, Donald Trump's tweet where he differentiates between uh, voting by mail in Florida and voting by mail in Nevada, uh, as though one is pure and the other is corrupt. You can yeah. see where he's going with this, Monroe, right? Of course, of course. And it's... And surprise, surprise, um, one has a Republican governor and the other has a Democratic governor. Explain that a little further. He's, he, he, he is so partisan. You know, most presidents, because they're from a party, so obviously they have a preference, but most presidents at least feign being balanced and caring about the people, not the person that's running the state. Trump, I mean, Trump, Trump, Trump is also um, sending his stormtroopers to cities run by Democrats, not to cities run by Republicans, although there aren't that many, true, but, but even the few that there are, he's, he, he, he is doing everything the opposite of any sane politician would do. I mean, he's just—he's—he's uh, he's got his people, and he's pitching to them, and he thinks that there's this great silent majority out there, a la Nixon times, that are going to come out and vote for him and put him back in office. But the the silent majority that's out there now are the people who are going to come out and vote against <laughs> him, not with him. All right, let's uh, get to uh, the first point of your Facebook message, Vice, Vice President. Uh, you ran down a few names. Do you think it even matters? No. If, in other words, if what you're saying is true, that people are going to, if this is really an election, a referendum of Donald Trump, it right. really doesn't matter who Joe Biden picks. Right, right. It, it really doesn't matter, except what will happen is if it's a black woman, that's going to excite a certain amount of black women and, and, and they will be sure to show up at the polls and make their children, if they're old enough, their children and their husbands and their, if they, all their family members. And there will be an excitement with the idea of having the first vice presidential woman, a, a, a black person. You mentioned Susan. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Yeah. And so it, it, it does. It's not going to matter. And the Republicans uh, are going to be critical of whoever it is. Doesn't, it, that doesn't matter either. Trump could go out and get the Virgin Mary as the <laughs> vice president. And the Republicans would question whether she was really a virgin or not. And whether Joseph or God was a father. I mean, they just go through the whole thing. So, he meant Biden. Biden could go out to get the Virgin Mary. They would question whether she's a virgin or she's married. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and who she uh, was married to. Was, was, he, was she cheating on God or was she cheating with God? <laughs> you mentioned the Susan Rice Republicans like her. What do you mean by that? They, she's, they made her the face of Benghazi 
which is still one of their favorite whipping horses. Mm-hmm. And so they believe that if she's on the ticket, it's going to encourage uh, a lot of the faithful to go vote with Trump because because a lot of them don't like Trump anymore. They've fallen out of love with him. But if they if 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 um, if Susan Rice is on the ticket, they think the faithful will come out to vote against Susan Rice. I think it's um, wishful thinking. I, I don't think that's yeah. going to be much of a factor. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that one. That is a stretch. The faithful are either going to show up or not show up. Susan Rice will not be the motivating factor uh, in getting the Trump faithful out to vote. Uh, I agree with you on on that point. And uh, do you have any any favorites, particular favorites? Uh, not really, no. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I've, I've thought about this. I I. I like I like everybody on the ticket that's been named as a possibility for different reasons. I like I, I I don't know if I told you this, but I I when I covered the Obama primary in 2008 in New Hampshire, I was on the the press bus. Um, I had a drink with Susan Rice uh, at a bar. I, the way this would work is. The bus would go from town to town to town and roll in someplace at midnight. And then they'd leave the bar open and everybody would drink that wasn't on deadline. And so I had a, a, a drink with her and um, I found her to be uh, very committed. And, and um, I'm not sure how much of a sense of humor she has. Uh, but she would be good. She would be good for as as someone who knows foreign policy, so that would Biden wouldn't have to spend all his time um, repairing the damage that Trump has done uh, with our allies. Mm. She could do some of that handiwork. So she would be good for that reason. Val Demings um, would be good for uh, the whole law and order thing because she's a former cop. Although a good cop, you know, she was trying to reform the department. She'd be good for that. Karen Bass is a community organizer, and um, she would be good. I, I, um, it's probably going to be, and I, I you know, I, and again, I like all of them, so it doesn't matter. But it's probably going to be Kamala, and I think that's because Biden is so interested in recapturing. Um, Camelot, the, 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 this, this millennium's Camelot, that just like um, he was the vice president to this attractive uh, young black man, it would be a reverse now, whereas he's the president and he has this attractive young black woman as his number two. And so I think that's why it's, it's going to be... I, uh, I've, I've also... That's where my bet is. Uh, and I get a kick out of when, um, you know, just everybody has become a pundit. Uh, and so, uh, so many people say, well, Kamala Harris, she did very poorly uh, in her presidential campaign. So that reflects badly on her. And I'm like, the, Joe Biden did even worse when right. he ran against Barack Obama uh, in 2008. And so, you know, uh, how quickly we forget. Oh, I know. Uh, if you look at uh, 
George H.W. Bush and Reagan. And, you know, uh, George H.W. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Reagan, you know, he, he, he accurately described Reagan's economic policy as voodoo economics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the trickle-down thing that we, we're still suffering from. Uh, so so the, that, that doesn't matter. And with the Kennedys and, and JF and, um, and uh, LBJ, it couldn't have been more um, strained. All right, I'm going to uh, force you to weigh in on something. I have. I did not tell you I was going to ask you this question, so it's completely off the wall. It's a column I wrote for the reader this week uh, based on my thoughts when I watched uh, Bill Clinton's speech at John Lewis's funeral. I've had it with Bill Clinton. I do not want Bill Clinton to be giving any more speeches at uh, major state uh, funerals, uh, conventions. I would. I want the Democratic Party to divorce itself from Bill Clinton. Uh, there are many things uh, he's done that have uh, caused me to reach the point. The triggering moment in that speech, in that particular speech, is when out of nowhere, he took a gratuitous swipe at Stokely Carmichael. It was like listening to triangulation bill all over again try to prove how how unlike all democrats he is he's just gonna pick on stokely carmichael he can't help himself but then he's up to his eyeballs in the in the the epstein scandal the jeffrey epstein scandal after having dragged our country through the monica Lewinsky scandal this man has no control no self-control no discipline Democrats, wean yourself. Cut the cord with Bill Clinton right now. I feel strongly about that. Monroe Anderson, your thoughts. Uh, what, wasn't, what, wasn't Trump hanging out with Epstein too? Yeah, that's no defense of Bill Clinton. <laughs> he and Trump are cut from the same cloth. No, exactly. That's my point. And, and not only that, but Epstein was a genius at um, attracting black, uh, young, young, sorry, old men to young women. It's as if you got to work hard at it. But he had, he, had, he had an apparatus to do that, and he knew who to choose. He knew who had the weaknesses, who had the, the, the um, moral instability, shall we say. So um, the thing with Bill is... But he is a former president, and he did harm, but he did some good too. And he, he's not—he's not the leader of the pack That's—that's—that's that's, that's Obama's position. So he's just—he—he—he's he, just a sidekick now. So I'm, I'm not that concerned about it. Although, well, I, I, you and I—I'm not surprised we don't see eye to eye. So I cannot take another moment of Bill Clinton. And, you know, it's funny because uh, two weeks ago you came on the show. Yeah. Uh, this is actually an important contribution you made because we were talking about John Lewis. And you talked about yourself as a young man in 1960, whatever it was, when you were a, uh, a freshman. Yeah, 66. Yeah, and how uh, Stokely spoke to you. Right, exactly. He did. And... Uh, and so, and so I was pure, I was pure Stokely back then. In fact, I didn't give um, John Lewis much thought at all. Um, and, you know, and, and Clinton, I mean, 
I've always had mixed emotions about Bill Clinton because um, when he was governor and running for president, he allowed that black guy who was uh, mentally challenged. Ricky Ray Rector. Yeah, to be executed. And then he, he had his sister soldier moment to prove that he wasn't one of those softies, liberals, that he would take on the blacks. Um, so I... Yeah. Okay. He's still playing that card, Monroe. That's what he did. That he's still at age. He's pushing he 80. He's still that's playing that card. That's it. He doesn't count anymore. That's, that's the thing is, he, Obama has so eclipsed him. Yeah. And, and with Hillary's loss in 2016, I mean, he still would have been a player had she won, obviously. But since she lost... Um, <laughs> Their name doesn't have the magic it used to. You know, so he, 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 he's like a um, some 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 soul singer from the the seventies, still trying to relive the days when the oldies, the goodies were pop. Uh, we're losing track of you. I think you have to move closer to the microphone. Uh, and final question, no ducking and dodging in this one. We're going back to your days as a strategist for Mayor Eugene Sawyer. We're in the middle of a pandemic. School is supposed to start in September. Uh, what is your advice if, uh, to the mayor? Open the schools or keep them closed? Go. Keep them closed. Yeah, people will die. You know, and it's a tragic, it's, it's a difficult situation. It's not an easy choice because because these these some of these kids, it's a free meal. It's where they get fed. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them don't have the Internet, so it's hard to teach them. Or even if they have uh, uh, access to the Internet, they don't have adults necessarily that could help them um, um, get through it. And, and do it. But on the other hand, we don't know enough about this virus and it, it, it could kill them. They could get it and take it home and kill their, their mother or father or grandparent or somebody. So I mean, if, if my kids were in, in school or of school age, they would not be in, I would not bring, I would not bring them in. And if I was teaching, that's another thing. A, a, a vast majority of school teachers have outlying conditions. And so why would you go into a classroom to teach and it could kill you? In yeah. fact, there was a reporter, there's one teacher who had drawn up a, a, dirt, um, a will, last will and testament, because she didn't think she'd make it. Yeah. Uh, no, I, uh, I think I'm with you 100%. Uh, I'm glad that Lori Lightfoot decided not to uh, reopen the schools. Yeah, All right, I, Monroe. How did she do that? Just, yeah. Yeah. Well, they had that first plan, and you know they were kind of waiting things out, and they finally decided. Right. Uh, you you had been really inconsistent uh, to say don't go to bars, but we're <laughs> reopening the schools. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Monroe, take care, stay safe, stay sound. We'll talk to you next week, all right? Okay. Not next week. Oh, not next week? No, you're going to be out of town. No, that's the week after next. Get ready. Yes. Oh, 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 okay.
All right. Uh, the fourth wall has been demolished in the men and Monroe interview. But yeah, no, that's a week. After, uh, that's the week after next week. All right, Monroe Anderson, stay safe and sound. Take care. Thanks for coming on. Right. D, you got any updates for us before we head out the door? Absolutely, I do here. Uh, but before we're going to go to the live stream chat here, people are weighing in with their vice presidential picks. Uh, let's see here. Uh, one person. Oh, I got to plug that on my board there. All right. Uh, let's see. Our good friend Frank, uh, he thinks, uh, he says, I so think the Kamala camp uh, is leaking info in regards to a lady named Karen Bass. Uh, Karen Bass, apparently there's a video of Karen Bass praising Scientology. Sergio Mims weighed in on the live stream chat and said, uh, yeah, so she's out, if that's true. Uh, he says, hmm, I wonder which of her competitors leaked it. Bet it was Kamala Harris. Uh, let's see here. Ben, your thoughts on that? Oh, uh, yeah. I By the way, I'm hearing this for the absolute first time and Sergio and Frank, absolutely. If I had to put money on it, it's coming from the Kamala camp and uh, yeah, he's caring about if that's true. I do not know if it's true. I'm just hearing this for the first time, but yep, that would be uh, a no brainer not to take her as your VP. All right. Uh, let's see here. Jay Marie weighed in. She says, I love Ben's hate for slick Willie these days talking about Bill Clinton. I yeah. am here for it. I'm with you, uh, Jay Marie. I just wrote a column about this. I don't know if it's out yet. And uh, I've been feeling this for a while. Uh, and um, the, a lot of things uh, contributed to my uh, awakening. I woke, as they say. I think part of it was in 2016 when uh, Donald Trump successfully diverted attention from uh, grabbing by the pussy remarks by uh, bringing on women who had accused Bill Clinton of sexual harassment. And then we had the Me Too uh, moment of awakening in this country where we're finally coming face to face with the behavior of powerful men and how they treated uh, women who had no choice but to bow to their demands. And I'm like, why are we still covering up for Bill Clinton? Why are we, the Democrats, still covering up? And then when I watched, so these are the feelings I was having, Jay Marie, coming into the, the John Lewis uh, funeral. Um, Bill Clinton just unnecessarily trashes Stokely Carmichael. I, it's like the old instincts of Bill Clinton trying to prove that he's somehow or other not afraid to just like needlessly gratuitously bash a black man i he just i'm like get this guy off the screen just divorce yourself from oh and then of course jeffrey epstein and we're gonna have leonard goodman on talking about that bill clinton after the Mar monica Lewinsky scandal you think would have reformed himself but no jay marie within four years or three years of being out of office he's jetting around the world uh with jeffrey epstein so yeah come on dams Cut the cord. Yes, he's a creepy douchebag. All right, so <laughs> let's go and uh, read some updates here. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. And let me see who wrote this uh, fine piece of work here. John Seidel. All right, it says the headline reads, ComEd pleads not guilty to bribery, screen, uh, bribery scheme 
despite admissions made in government deal. Despite last month admitting its role in a scheme that allegedly sent $1.3 million to allies of House Speaker Michael Madigan while it tried to land Madigan's support for favorable legislation, ComEd on Wednesday today pleaded not guilty through an attorney to criminal conduct. U.S. District Judge John Ness insisted on the formal plea during ComEd's arrangement by telephone on one count of bribery. Law- uh, lawyers had previously said no plea would be necessary because the utility company also struck a three-year deal with prosecutors known as a deferred prosecution agreement. If ComEd abides by the terms of the deal, the bribery charge is expected to be dropped. What a bunch of legal gobbledygook. I can't get Jimmy Coogan on to explain this stuff. Just a bunch of legal gobbledygook. Lawyers playing games. Did you plead guilty to it in your plea arrangement? Did you say you hired his cronies? Did you say you're going to pay the $200 million fine? And now you say you're not guilty? Legal gobbledygook, D. Just a bunch of lawyers wheeling and dealing. Who knows what the U.S. attorney's up to? What uh, kind of games they're playing with ComEd? So... It's either you did it or you didn't do it. And they're having their cake and eating it too. Man, that's the wonder how nobody has any faith in anything anymore. Do you? you know what I'm saying? You want to be straightforward? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we're going to pay a $200 million fine because we uh, hired his cronies, uh, but we are not guilty of hiring his cronies. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. That makes about as much sense as anything like keep moving along the lakefront paths, but go to school. No you congregating. <laughs> no, <laughs> nothing made. Can we just have someone who just speaks the truth and says it just is out in front? Everybody is just like wheeling and dealing. That is called, that is some slick lawyering going on there, D. Uh, you know what, Ben? You know, it's making more sense to me every single day. Ben Jarofsky for mayor. Come on, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. Gets gets up at 930, considers it an early day, uh, doesn't know about Twitter, has to learn things when Dennis tells me, because, well, D, I read the newspaper and it wasn't in the newspaper. He's, he's the everyman. He's the everyman, you know? Wears hats all the time. Wears hats. That is the biggest bunch of legal gobbledygook I've ever seen. And, you know, the... They're, they're trying to try to work, maneuver their way out of. They wait a minute. You agree? Deferred prosecution. We got to get Jimmy Coogan in to explain what deferred prosecution really means. The games people play. The spinner said it best. 1975. Games people play. Uh, millennials, you loving the show today or what? <laughs> they love the spinners. Millennials love the spinners. Gen Xers, mm, not so much. Just kidding. I'm just teasing Gen Xers. I know you love the spinners too. Uh, we got Jay Marie. Bill Clinton is a piece of. Sh- okay, Jay Marie. <laughs> we get it. Okay, we get it. Uh, but you make a good point. Can't argue with it. No, you cannot. Uh, we want to remind everybody one more time here that not this next week, but the week after. After that, we're going to be taking a break. Ben's going on vacation. He's taking a much-needed vacation uh, with uh, his family and such, and uh, so we're going to be taking the week off, but what we're doing is we're storing pre-recorded interviews after every show now, and so when we're away interviews you can play that's right on both chicago sun times and chicago reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast live stream we highly encourage that you go find these interviews and download them and help support the ben jarofsky show i'm with you 100 percent about that d 100 percent. cut the cord huh is that all the updates you got yeah that's it 
All right, very good. I want to thank Monroe Anderson for coming on as he does every Wednesday. And of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all in Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Monroe can tell you, as Jay Marie can tell you, as Frank can tell you, as Stacey Davis Gates and Mayor Lori Lightfoot, the only thing they agree on is that back home in Alton, they call him Dr. Doobie. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everyone.